Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. With your host, Brandon Okuma. Elon Musk buys Twitter. The Biden administration creates a disinformation board. Someone leaks the Supreme Court Justice Alito's draft on Roe vs. Wade. And what you might not know about what the left calls the don't say gay bill. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Let's Go Brandon Okuma podcast. So while I've been gone, Elon Musk finally did it. He bought uh, he bought up Twitter for approximately $44 billion. Now, how would you like to have that in your bank account? Maybe a little pocket change on the side. Now, you might be wondering, why did Elon Musk decide to do this? What, what kind of interest does he have in a social media platform? Well, I can tell you one thing. Elon Musk believes in freedom of speech, and what he was seeing at Twitter was not that. So, what he decided to do was to make a change. What Elon Musk does believe is that free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. And what's funny is that when he put out the idea that he made by Twitter, or he was thinking about it, he started doing polls on Twitter. And one of them actually said free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. And he asked Twitter, he did a poll. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? 30% yet said yes. 70% of people said no. And that is out of 2 million votes. What Elon Musk decided to do was put an, put up an offer to Twitter that they couldn't refuse because if they did refuse it, which the board of Twitter was highly considering, if they did end up refusing it, then the shareholders would have a field day with this board, with Twitter stock. And as you can imagine, there are a lot of people who are upset who just can't find it in themselves or in their safe space to really feel safe. You know, they're locked away in a closet or somewhere in their safe space, crying, tears flowing like the Nile, stating how a billionaire white boy is going to do terrible things to freedom of speech for them, when it's been the exact opposite, actually. Twitter over the last few years has rigorously censored many people and stories that might affect how people view the left. Examples like censoring Donald Trump, the Babylon Bee, which is a parody account. Project Veritas, The Washington Post, and stories like the Hunter Biden laptop, which The Washington Post actually broke right before the presidential election in 2020, but uh, Twitter took it down and they got rid of The Washington Post's account for some time. And what people get wrong about Elon Musk, especially uh, liberals, Democrats, is that because he's doing this, they think he's conservative, which he's not. So politically, Elon Musk has described himself as half Democrat and half Republican. And what he said is, I'm somewhere in the middle, socially liberal and fiscally conservative. This is something we would call libertarian. When you have a country who has heavily gotten in the game of censoring certain speech, certain ideas people may have, certain stories, creating these fact checker organizations, which I'm sure we all know are biased, it creates an imbalance in the country, and which I believe is a big reason as to why Elon Musk has decided to do this. Musk said free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating spam bots, and and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. As a businessman, he would also like to make money. So some plans that Elon Musk has for Twitter... From the New York Times, Musk plans to quintuple revenue to $26 billion by 2028, cut Twitter's reliance on advertising to less than 50% of revenue, reach 931 million users by 2028, raise free cash flow to $9.4 billion, 
And he plans to hire 3,600 employees after shedding hundreds. So he's going to get rid of uh, probably around 1,000 and then hire some more for his expansion. With all those plans, however, Elon will have some new competition. And this competition is coming from the app True Social, which is another social media platform owned by former President Donald Trump. And Elon Musk actually ended up tweeting about uh, True Social. He said, True Social is currently beating Twitter and TikTok on the Apple Store. And it shows a picture of True Social at uh, number one over Twitter, Be Real, and TikTok. According to Newsweek, before April 23rd, True Social had not previously ranked since March 12th. And that True Social has been downloaded roughly 1.4 million times to date since its launch in February. So I guess liberals have two social media platforms to worry about promotion of free speech on. And while they're all going crazy over all of this, I'm going to show you a clip of uh, Ari Melber from MSNBC talking about his concerns with Elon Musk buying Twitter and what he think might happen after Elon Musk acquires Twitter. Now, what's funny about this is it actually uh, sounds super familiar, something you might recognize. Here it is. Own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Thank you, Ari. So... For all of you, does that sound a little familiar? Maybe uh, a little less than two years ago, near the 2020 election, something that might have included Hunter Biden's laptop, which was something that we have already gone over the stats about, stating that if the media would have properly presented the Hunter Biden laptop story to the citizens of the United States, instead of having a big push to silence that, from the numbers that we've gone over, Donald Trump would still be president today. Instead, what happened is exactly what he described. And the Biden administration's reactions to things like Elon Musk buying Twitter is the creation of a disinformation board in the Department of Homeland Security. According to Fox News, FCC, which is Federal Communications Commission, commissioner says Biden's disinformation board is unconstitutional. FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr blasted the Department of Homeland Security's New Disinformation Governor, Governance Board to combat online disinformation on Monday, calling it Orwellian, un-American, and unconstitutional. Carr made the argument on Mornings with Maria, stressing that the Disinformation Board should be shut down. He also argued that there is a broader game afoot. Carr provided an example. You have the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, a.k.a. Gingerbread Psaki, from the White House podium, saying they are coordinating with Big Tech to take down posts, flagging posts for them. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced during his testimony late last month before the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security that DHS had created the Disinformation Governance Board. He said the goal is to bring the resources of DHS together to address this threat, adding that the department is focused on the spread of disinformation in the minority communities ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. Federal and state lawmakers, constitutional scholars, and other experts are expressing concerns with the Department of Homeland Security's new misinformation board, which they argue is the Biden administration's attempt to stifle free speech. According to The Hill on this disinformation board, they said, Unfortunately, this dystopian idea is far too real in many parts of the globe. Authoritative countries such as North Korea, China, Russia, and Venezuela all have some form of a state-sponsored Big Brother watching over their citizens. 
manipulating the media they consume, and eliminating any narrative that is critical of the ruling class. So this is the company that uh, Joe Biden and his administration are putting us with. You got North Korea, China, Russia, and Venezuela, who also have similar boards to this. Because of this new board, Mayorkas has been getting questioned, and one of my favorite exchanges is by Rand Paul, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Here it is. Illegally. I think you've got no idea what disinformation is, and I don't think the government's capable of it. Do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I mean, think of all the debates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speech. You think we can't determine, you know, speech by traffickers is disinformation? You think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with the Steele dossier. I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Same. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. What this disinformation board represents is what Ronald Reagan said were the uh, nine most terrifying words in the English language, which are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So they're just doing the same thing. We're from the government. We know there's a lot of information out there. We're going to help you decide what exactly is true. You just got to let it go through us first. With all this craziness going on in our country, it just continues to get even crazier, people. So something that does not happen is the leak of a Supreme Court document. This one having to be uh, Justice Alito's on what is an extremely popular case, Roe vs. Wade. And what the document was, was a draft. So it was a draft that Alito created. He gave his opinion on the case in which he believes it should be overturned, and he presents it to his colleagues. And what they do is they give their opinion on whether they believe that it should be overturned or not. But what the draft does not do is set those opinions in stone. So what a lot of people don't understand about this is if the day came to where they presented their vote on the Roe versus Wade to overturn it or not, just because certain judges gave certain opinions in the draft doesn't, doesn't mean that they can't change them. What else a lot of people don't understand and why they're so angry is that if Roe versus Wade did get overturned, the decision would simply go to the states. And this is something that Judge Alita believed, is that the federal government should not have the choice over this. He believes that abortion is not protected by the Constitution, and nowhere in it does it say it is. Therefore, the decision would be made at the state level. And if you're familiar with the amendments, the Tenth Amendment states, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Meaning that if you are more pro-abortion, and the decision ended up going to the states, I don't think things would change very much because you already have the more pro-abortion states. You have uh, states with less abortion or more strict abortion laws, mainly conservative. So now what you want ultimately comes down to who you vote for and who ends up winning. And that's it. So what people are freaking out about is that if Roe vs. Wade gets overturned, then they're never going to be ever get to have an abortion again, which if you did the research, you can assume is incorrect. Now, what I think we can all agree uh, we've found comical about this whole situation is that liberals, the same people who think boys can be girls, girls can be boys, men could get pregnant and have children, is that when this comes up, they say men shouldn't be making decisions about women's bodies. 
or for women's bodies. But at the same time, they're saying that if you identify as a woman and you're a man, shoot, use a woman, girl. Or that men could get pregnant. Well, if a man could get pregnant, shouldn't they be able to make decisions about this too? And we do hear this every time the Roe versus Wade conversation comes up. Men shouldn't be making decisions about women's body. But if a woman agrees with that man, what do people have to say to that? So if if a woman was elected and they're in the same position, they got to make the decision about it and it's a certain way. So say they want to get rid of abortion. A woman wants to get rid of abortion. What do you say to that then? You can't use that argument anymore. Men shouldn't be making decisions about women's body. And liberals should just give it up altogether because they already came up with the crazy notion that men could be women, women could be men, and men could give birth to children and all that jazz. So that argument is invalid for them as well. And according to Joe Biden's new Supreme Court justice, she has no idea what a woman is. She can't even describe what one is, even though after being confirmed by the Senate, she went out and said, I'm excited to be the first African-American woman in the Supreme Court. She must have became a biologist in that short amount of time, I guess. Now, I would have to agree with this, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I do not think the federal government should be in charge of this. I think it should be left up to the states and the ele- elected representatives because we do not elect Supreme Court justices. And whoever did leak this document out, most likely one of the liberal appointed justices, clerks, or the just, one of the justices even, I believe it would be good to have consequences for that individual or individuals, as well as have their law licenses taken away permanently. Because now you have angry protesters outside these judges' houses, which is something I do not agree with. I don't agree with going to someone's house and doing protests. Getting violent towards them and towards their family members is disgusting. So I would find it fitting for this individual or individuals to be punished correctly. And the Supreme Court is already starting an investigation into this. Because we love statistics here, we're going to go over some abortion statistics from Abort 73. And we'll start with abortions per year. We're going to jump back into 1996 where 1,360,000 abortions occurred. 2011, 1,060,000. 2017, 862,000. And in 2017, the highest percentage of pregnancies were aborted in the District of Columbia New Jer- at 37%, New Jersey at 32%, and New York at 31%. The lowest percent of pregnancies were aborted in Idaho at 5%, South Dakota at 4%, and Wyoming at 2%. More than 60 million legal abortions have occurred in the United States since 1973. And moving on to who has abortions. In 2019, Unmarried women accounted for eight accounted for eighty six percent of all abortions, so almost nine out of ten women who aren't married are the ones having the abortions. Women in their twenties accounted for the majority of abortions in twenty nineteen and had the highest abortion rates according to the CDC. Adolescents under fifteen years old obtained 02 percent of all twenty nineteen abortions. Women aged fifteen to nineteen years of age accounted for eight point five percent according to the CDC. In a in percentage of 2019 reported abortions by age of the mother from the CDC, less than 15 years, 0.2 percent, 15 to 19 years, 8.5 percent of abortions, 20 to 24, 27.7 percent, 25 to 29, 29.9, 30 to 34, 19.6, 35 to 39, 11, greater than or equal to 40 years old, 3.7. So. 25 years to 29 years of age had the greatest percentage of abortion at 29.2%. According to the CDC, black women were more than 3.6 times more likely to have an abortion in 2019 than white women. Moving on to why do abortions occur? 
In 2004, the Guttmacher Institute anonymously surveyed 12,000 or 1,209 post-abortive women from nine different abortion clinics across the country. Of the women surveyed, 957 provided a main reason for having an abortion. Less than 0.5% said they were a victim of rape. 3% fetal health problems. 4% physical health problems. 4% would inter- said it would interfere with education or career. 7% not mature enough to raise a child. 8% don't want to be a single mother. 19% done having children. 23% can't afford a baby. 25% not ready for a child. And 6% said other. The state of Florida records a reason for every abortion that occurs within its borders each year. In 2020, there were 74,868 abortions in Florida. This table lists each reason and the percentage of abortions that occurred because of it. I think we could take the reasoning and percentage from Florida's as more of a general percentage for the majority of the country because the statistics are greater. The reason. The pregnancy resulted from an incestuous relationship. 0.01%. The woman was raped. For that reason, 0.15%. The woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy, 0.2%. Women decided they wanted to get an abortion because they were either raped, the pregnancy endangered their life, or it was because an incestuous relationship. All three of those account for 0.36% of all abortions. At just below 1%, there was a serious fetal abnormality. 1.48% said the women's physical health was threatened by pregnancy. 1.88% said the women's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy at 20.4 percent the woman was the woman aborted for social or economic reasons and at 75 percent the women said they had no reason when do abortions occur in 2019 79 percent of all u.s abortions occurred prior to the 10th week of gestation 93 percent occurred prior to 14 weeks of gestation so in 2019 7 percent occurred after 14 weeks of gestation With the topic of abortion, it is one of those topics where you have people who are split on both sides who agree and disagree with it. It is also one of those topics that is either really hard to change someone else's mind on or impossible. Now, if you came up to me and asked me my view on it and for what reasons, I would happily tell you. However, I completely agree with the draft that Judge Alito put out, and I think it should be voted on extremely soon, and I think it should be overturned. And I think the decision should go to the states. If you're so concerned about your voice being heard, this would be one way to do it even better. Speaking of leaving the uh, states up to decisions, there is a certain bill that the libs like to call the don't say gay bill, even though it doesn't even use the word gay in the bill at all. The bill is actually called parental rights in education. So as you can see, there's a lot of similarities between uh, what the libs called it and what Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has named it. I've met a lot of people who know nothing about this bill, who have not gone and actually checked it out. I'm assuming that the people who are outraged by this have done neither of those, but I uh, I highly suggest you do that. It might be good for you. I know people in law school who are outraged about this bill, who you would think would go look at it, which makes you question about the types of people that are going through law school and how we get these radical judges and lawyers in the United States and how that's going to highly affect our future. And what I'm actually going to do is read you the bill so you, the American people, can hear it. Okay? All right, let's go for it. Page one, an act relating to parental rights and education. In accordance with the rights of parents enumerated in SS 1002.0 and 1, lots of numbers, okay. 
Adopt procedures for notifying a student's parents if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and, to the school, and the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. The procedure must reinforce the fundamental rights of the parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children by requiring school district personnel to encourage a student to discuss issues relating his or relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent or facilitate discussion of the issue with the parent. Procedures may not prohibit parents from accessing any of their students' education and healthcare records created, maintained, or used by the school district as required by 1.1002 numbers. Okay. A school district may not adopt procedures or student support forms that prohibit school district personnel from notifying a parent about his or her student's mental, emotional, physical health, or well-being, or change in related services or monitoring, or that encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information. School district personnel may not discourage or prohibit parental notification of and involvement in critical decision affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. This subparagraph does not prohibit a school district from adopting procedures that permit school personnel to withhold such information from a parent if a reasonably prudent person would believe that disclosure would result in abuse, abandonment, neglect, as those terms are defined in S39.01 numbers, okay? Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in a manner that is not age appropriate or deliberate or development or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Number four, student support services training development or provided by a school district to school district personnel must adhere to a student services guidelines, standards, and frameworks established by the Department of Education. At the beginning of the school year, each school district shall notify parents of each health care service offered at their student's school and the options to withhold consent or decline any, spe- spe- any specific service. Parental consent to a health care service does not waive the parent's right to access his or her student's educational or health records to be notified about a change in his or her student services or monitoring as provided by, his or, by this paragraph. Before administering a student well-being questionnaire, or health screening from a student in kindergarten through grade three, the school district must provide the questionnaire or health care or health screening form to the parent and obtain the permission of the parent. Seven. Each school district shall adopt procedures for a parent to notify the principal or his or her designee regarding the concerns under this paragraph at his or her student's school and the process for resolving those concerns within seven calendar days after notification by the parent. At a minimum, the procedure must require that within 30 days after the notification by the parent that the concern remains unresolved, the school district must either resolve the concern or provide a statement of the reasons for not resolving the concern. If the concern is not resolved by the school district, a parent may, one, require the commissioner of education to appoint a special magistrate who is a member of the Florida Bar in good standing and who has at least five years' experience in administration and administrative law. The special magistrate shall determine facts relating to the dispute over the school district procedure or practice, consider the information provided by the school district, and rendering render a recommended decision for resolution of the State Board of Education within 30 days after receipt of the request by the parent. The State Board of Education must approve or reject the recommended decision at its next regular scheduled meeting 
that is more than seven calendar days and no more than 30 days after the date of a recommended decision is transmitted. Also, the special magistrate shall be borne by the school district. The state board of education shall adopt rules, including forms necessary to implement this subparagraph. Bringing or bring an action against the school district to obtain in a declaratory judgment that the school district procedure or practice violates this paragraph and seek injunctive relief, a court may award damage and shall award reasonable attorney fees and court costs to the parents who receive declaratory or injunctive relief. Each school board shall adopt policies to notify parents of the procedures required under this subparagraph. Nothing contained in this subparagraph shall be construed bridge or alter rights of action or or remedies in, in equity already existing under the common law or general law this shall take effect july 1st 2022 i think that's the most reading i've done in god knows how long i'm out of breath a coin can a coin i'll be fine okay so i'm not sure if you guys heard the word gay in there i don't think i did certainly not don't say gay but um to put all that in layman's terms what the state of florida is doing is allowing Parents to be more involved in their children's schooling and what's being taught to them and medical decisions that are being made. So if your kid has to go to school and get shots, which I know I remember getting shots in school when I was young, you must notify the parent and they can approve the shots that they're going to get or they can deny their children getting certain shots. It also doesn't allow just to indoctrinate children who are kindergarten through third grade on sexual orientation, which absolutely should not be happening in school. I do not remember my teacher's talking about any of that sexual orientation till I was older, especially the crazy stuff going on right now where teachers are telling children they can be girls if they're boys or boys if they're girls and they can identify as a wolf or be whatever they want, a worm, who knows. It also allows parents to know that if their kids are having any, any mental, emotional, physical problems at school that they're not being presented to, that they're not presenting to their parents at home. So it allows the parents to find out from the school. So if something's going wrong with their kid and they don't know, which they should be knowing, if they're a good parent, of course, then this is something that the school now has to notify the parent of. Unless, of course, it could lead to child abuse, which is what it says in the bill. I believe this bill is completely necessary. I believe that parents should be notified of certain things. They should be be able to make decisions about their children's childhood and their lives. When the child is 18, they grow up somewhat. They can go off and make decisions for themselves, but schools should not be allowed to hide things from the parents. The parents should absolutely be more involved in what they're learning. The other thing about this bill that's pro-parent is the parents having problems in the school with the school and the school is not resolving it, then they go to court. The parents don't have to pay for that. The, the, the school will have to pay for that. For all of you out there who really understand the Let's Say Gay bill, I hope you understand it now. That's all the time we have today. If you have any questions, concerns, want to debate, say hi, send me some hate mail, feel free to email me at lgbo at lgbopodcast.com. And I want to thank you all for listening again. Catch me next time. And to end it with the saying we all know and love, let's go, Brandon. Yeah, they're chanting. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree.